Joe Root and how he just owned the game. He ran the game, he was pure quality, and he just owned that space. And just had it, all of this lot were just scratching their heads, going, what do we do? Well, sort well of. he's out now, he got 40. That was Ricky Pointing during his coverage of the Ashes for Sky Sports, giving it straight back to Kevin Peterson. And pleased to say the great man, Ricky Ponting, joins us on SEN Tassie Breakfast this morning. G'day, Rick. Welcome to the show. Good morning, man. How are you? We are going very, very nicely. Thanks so much for jumping on. We really appreciate it. Uh, we'll start with the Ashes. Uh, what do you feel and how do you feel about it now? Obviously, a very good tour for Australia with the World Test Championship and then going on to retain the urn, but how did you say it all from your perspective? Oh, I think at the, at the end of the day, the Ashes result was probably fair enough to be, you know, to be fair. I think, you know, Australia started really well. Um, you know, both teams had really good chances in the first couple of test matches to to actually win, and Australia took advantage of, a, I think, a pretty ordinary declaration in the first test, and then some pretty uh, erratic batting, you'd say, in the England's first innings in the, at the, the Lord's Test match with that short ball sort of barrage that England couldn't cope with, and that led to Australia getting up to a you know a, a two nil lead. Um, you know, Headingley was a, was another great Test match actually. Headingley that England sort of got the better of the conditions and got the the result they were after there. But from that moment on, England pretty much dominated the last couple of games. Um, you know, Manchester looked like it was heading towards a win for, for England other than the, the two days of, of rain at the end and then we, we all saw what happened at the Oval so you know the two contrasting styles of play were, were great to sit back and watch actually you know this there was a lot of talk about baseball and how England would approach it and you know would that that style stand up against uh, the quality of the Australian attack and it's it, you know, looking back it, it probably did you know it probably had some of the Australian players and coaches and the captain at different times sort of scratching their head, head as to how they were going to combat it um, yeah, so I think the two-two result, albeit probably slightly biased with a, you know, a bit of controversy in that last Test match with the, the ball change, the way that it was, that, that sort of gifted England some conditions that they probably shouldn't have got. Um, I think the, the level of cricket played across the series. I think the two-two result was probably fair. Yeah, agree, Rick. And good morning as well, mate. Um, you touched on it there from two nil up. I agree. I think the start of the series we were talking about were how are England's baseball batters going to handle. Our attack, do you think from 2-0 up, were you surprised by the Aussies' inability, if you like, to, to handle in particular uh, Wood and Wokes when they came in? The impact they had was enormous. Uh, yeah, I think, and, and Payne, to be honest, but England sort of stumbled across that, that lineup. If you think, with, with Ollie Pope getting injured in the, in the Lord's Test, that they, they ended up you know, having, keeping Moeen in the side and being able to bring um, Chris Wokes into the team. They were, they were, they were waiting... For Wood to be, you know, for them to be 100% convinced that Wood could get through um, the back half of that series, I'm sure they would have wanted to play him right at the start because you can see what he adds to that team, his potency and the way that he bowled at Headingley was as good a fast bowling as you'll see it, sort of 96 miles an hour and, and the seam presentation, the swing that he got at Headingley was unbelievable. But you could see even with him that he, he, he did taper off at the back end of that series. But um, it wasn't so much about their bowling. I mean, Wokes is a, he's a world-class bowler. We, we know that. He bowls well in those conditions, and when he when he gets um, the right conditions, he's as good as anybody. It was more their top-order batting, I think, that we sort of struggled to, to come to grips with. The way that Crawley and Duckett were able to play at the start of every innings, really. They, they got England off to flying starts and put pressure straight back on the, the, the Australian attack. And then when that momentum sort of started to build, it was hard for the Australians to to sort of rein it back in. So I think Zach Crawley's going to take a lot of the credit for that. I mean, he was the one that, going into the series, was the one that was under the most pressure. He, he'd been backed for 12 or 18 months under that, that regime of Stokes and, and, and McCollum, and they knew 
that if he played his absolute best, what he could do. And I think we saw that at the back end of the series. You know, that, that 180 he got at Manchester was as, as good a test match batting as you'll see. You know, 189 of 182 balls and had, as I said, had Kamo and the boys sort of scratching their heads as to how they are going to bowl to him. So, uh, look, I, I think that, that this whole bad ball approach, I mean, what it's all about is with an ageing attack that they've got, um, you know, they, they try and... Um, you know, save as much time in a game by scoring runs quickly to give their bowlers more time to bowl opposition teams out twice, and, and it's worked really well. You know, they've only had the one draw, which was a, a rain-affected game. Every other one's been a you know a win, and a, and only a couple of losses through. I think it's 19 Test matches now, so I think a lot of, I think even the Australian boys might be sitting back and, and looking at the way that they played and thinking, you know, what can we do a little bit better to, to to combat that in the future? And I think a lot of other countries around the world might be looking at it as well. And, Saying, well, if we if we want to compete with Australia, maybe this is the way we have to go. So I, I was, it was great to be to be there and watch it and see how both teams approached it. Yeah, you touched on there England's aging attack. Do you think it was it, it was the first time we've seen a bit of wear and tear and possibly some aging in our attack, which has been great for for so long and they've played so much cricket together. But do you think there was some signs in that series that you know we need to start developing some guys underneath? Oh, look, they were all pretty good, to be honest, Paney. Starkey was probably... Starkey and Kamo were, were both outstanding, I thought. Um, you know, Starkey in, in the World Test Championship looked like a like he was short of a gallop, as we as we know, and, and Pat the same. You know, both those guys coming off not a lot of cricket, but as the series sort of wore on, you know, Kamo was probably the pick again, but Starkey was, was outstanding. And, yep. you know, I think there were some questions about, you know, could, could Pat get through, you know, all those six test matches and, and keep his intensity up? I think, you know, there, there might have been a little bit of a flat spot when he was under under a bit of an attack at, at Manchester, but the way he bounced back in the last test, I mean, his pace in the start of the last test was the best it had been for a long time. He's up well up was, yep. miles an hour in, in, that, in that last test, so he he kept coming. Um, Do you think well, we're I too reliant on them though? Well, well, yeah. I mean, Boland and Nice are both sitting there. There was probably times that you know Boland probably didn't have the, the start of the tour that he would have wanted as, as well. He, you know, they played him in the first test that. Edge Baston on a, on a real, real flat wicket. We know that Scotty needs some assistance in the wicket to, and in the air to, to be the best bowler that he can be. As it, as it went on, it felt to me like that maybe they could have brought Nisa in at some stage with, with the right conditions. And he, every time he, he left the camp, he went away and got a big 100 in counter cricket as well. So he was in pretty good touch. Um, but I, I, think, I think what they did selection-wise was right. But um, they, they, we know that there are there is enough underneath these guys, and even with you know Morris and those sort of guys that are sort of sitting back in the wings. I think we've got enough there, and at different times, I reckon through the next twelve months, we might see some some different faces in that bowling lineup. Ricky Ponding, the great Ricky Ponding, is our guest here on SEN Tassie Breakfast this morning. Ricky, can we switch to Hurricanes mode? Obviously, you were part of the organisation last year, which was fantastic. Real Pakistani flavour to our draft. Uh, have you looked towards the, the draft yet? And do you, do you think we'll retain one of those players, or do you want to go with a fresh look? How, how are you thinking ahead of the draft? Yeah, look, I, it was a disappointing season to be honest last year for the for us with the Hurricanes. I think, you know, we we put together what we thought was a really good playing list and unfortunately you know we just didn't get the results that we, we wanted to through the series or you know I mean, missing the, the playoffs by that that one game obviously which so often happens in competitions like that you look back at it over you know a long season and think just that that one game here and there that we could have won would have been the difference between playing finals and not but um no, yeah we, we've done a lot of work um with player retentions and who we've released and you, know, you would have seen that joel paris and darcy short and guys like that have are not on the Hurricanes list anymore and have found new homes. Obviously, uh, Joel's at the, the Stars and 
Darcy Short, who's been such an integral part of the Hurricanes for, for a long time now, has found a, a new home at the Adelaide Strikers. So we are trying to sort of um, freshen things up a little bit. We're really conscious of, of keeping a, a really solid spine of, of players together through the program. I think we've got you know seven or eight guys there that we look to sort of build um, around for the, the next four or five years. And, and the draft is the draft's only a few weeks away, actually. So we have done a, a fair bit of work on identifying players that that we want and we've got to obviously put those names forward to the BBL committee and get those players into the draft and we've got to look at the little the, the gaps that we've got uh, in our current squad and, and try and fill those with the best overseas players that we can so um, yeah that's that's all ahead of us but there's been a lot of work gone into that already I think that the, the draft um, nomination list will be finalised I think on the 27th of this month and then the draft the actual draft is on the 3rd of September so a bit of work to go yet um, and we'll have a clearer idea of who we can get and, and availability-wise, you know, come the 27th. So um, it's really, it is actually really exciting. It's I, I love being a part of it last year. I mean, I, you know, I watch a lot of cricket anyway, as, as Paney will know, and um, you know, work on obviously call a lot of the big bash games through the summer. But you know, last year was a, a lot different for me. Every single ball that the Hurricanes boys played last year, mm-hmm. I I watched with great intent and. Um, quite often the remote controls will be flying across the living room every, every now and then because um, <laughs> uh, things didn't quite work out the way that I wanted but uh, I'm looking forward to this season again for sure Rick with the BBL draft coming up and obviously CA has just released the first six names you, you'd have vision on who's overall in it I'd imagine so those six I mean we spoke about it last week we were a bit disappointed with the star power if you like and he, so one are you concerned with that having seen who's in it and two are you concerned with you know, this Dubai League and the South African League taking star players out of the Big Bash? Yeah, I think, Payne, I think it was a bit the same last year, wasn't it? I mean, Cricket Australia and the BBL community did everything they could to try and attract the biggest and best names um, into that draft. But as you saw last year, even the bigger name players, like the Russells and the Pollards and the Bravos and those guys, they, they actually got into the draft last year because of their lack of availability, if you like. They were actually overlooked in, in, the, in the draft. And... You know, teams are sort of looking of, of not so much being able to get the best players they can for five or six games, but looking at maybe sort of getting a slightly less skilled player that you've got more availability with. So um, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I think there'll be there'll be a lot of other names added to that, obviously, and I'm sure released as the days go by. Um, but yeah, with with you know the ILT20 sort of starting on the 20th of, of January, it, it's going to mean pretty much that every overseas player that any team gets that's got any quality will, will only play the 10 round games and then, and then have to leave and probably won't be around for the finals. So <clears throat> that's the juggling act that every team's going to have now. You know, which, which players do you want for those 10 games? And then, you know, what money have you got to spend after the draft to, to, to get some replacements? Or do you just have to rely on your domestic talent to get you through uh, those finals games? So it's there's, there's a, lot, a lot of thinking that goes into it and a lot of planning and... And as I said, hopefully we can get it right on the on the third of September. Ricky, have you kept a, a close eye on the Macquarie Point Stadium debate down here in Tasmania? And two part question: Would you like to be involved some way with our AFL team board member? You reckon, Bruno? Anything? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have kept a little eye on, eye on the debate. I mean, I've, I've actually I haven't been home much since the start of March. I, you know, I was away at the IPL for a couple of months. I had a week at home between that and the Ashes, so I've had, I've had nearly five or six months on the road, um, which when most of this debate has sort of been going on. Um, yeah, I, would, would I like to be involved with it? I think there's probably better qualified people than me to be involved with a, an AFL team. But look, if, I, would, I wouldn't, I would never say no without, without thinking about it. If, if anyone thinks that there's something that I could, I could add or I could give, then, 
you know, obviously I'm very passionate about footy. I'm very passionate about Tasmanian footy, and I think it's, a, it's an unbelievable opportunity that the state has, uh, has been given with the, the, the new licence. So um, I'm excited to see where it, where it all goes um, over, the, over the, next, uh, the next six or 12 months or the next couple of years, to be honest. Now, Rick, there's something else you've been passionate about recently. It's wine. Well, I believe you're in Tassie next week. You're up in Launceston on Saturday, uh, the 26th, for the Ponting Wines Dinner. Can you talk to us about what that is and, and how people could buy tickets for that? Yeah, we've got the, we've got the two wine fairs actually planning. So there's a, the wine fair up in Launceston um, on the 26th, which sort of it goes from sort of 11 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, where you know wines from all over Tasmania and all over Australia actually are, are sort of there for everyone to come and, and taste and sample. I think it's... Thirty dollars ahead to, to get into the, the both the Launceston and the Hobart show. The Hobart show is on the on the, the following morning on the on the Sunday morning at the convention and function centre down in Hobart. So yeah, you, you turn up, pay your thirty bucks, you, you get your own glass, and away you go around and taste and sample as much wine as you can. So I think even someone like you would think that that's pretty good value. So <laughs> I'll I, be I there. I'll, I reckon I'll see you on Sunday there somewhere. But well, yeah. if you slip me a free ticket, I might come along. <laughs> Brendan will be probably hosting, so he'll be there. <laughs> yeah, oh, so oh, that, oh. that day. Saturday Arvo in Lonnie, uh, the dinner at the, at the casino on Saturday night, then I'll jump in the car Sunday morning and straight to Hobart and do the wine fair down there. So, um, yeah, look, it's three or four years now, Rihanna and I have been doing this. You know, we started our own business and our own label and, you know, it's something we're really passionate about. Um, I think the most important thing for people to understand about this business of ours is it's not, it is our business. It's not, we're not just putting our name on a on someone else's wine and, and, and trying to be ambassadors for a, a, a brand. This is ours and we work on it daily and and we're really proud of what we've been over, able to achieve over a short period of time. So, and with that, we've had great support from from from, from Tasmanians who have um, have sampled the wine, and, and hopefully they will continue to. Well, Ricky, it's been great to have you on the show. We look forward to seeing you down here at home next week. And thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day. Join you, boys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks, Rick. Ricky Ponting joining us here on SEN Tassie Breakfast. We're running over time, so we're going to get to a break. We're here thanks to Harrison Agents. We are Tasmanian.